Because our third graders receive Bibles today, I thought I would give a little lesson on an anatomy of the Bible and then how we read the Bible. And for the rest of us, it's either an introduction or a refresher course in those. So if you look at the end of your pew, there are pew Bibles. They're, I think they're red. And then there are other Bibles, and these are common English. These are Bibles that are written more for the maturity level of a third grader. But let's open the Bible to the table of contents. If there's a child near you, maybe you could help them find the table of contents in your Bible. Don't worry, there is no quiz at the end. I had somebody ask me that at the earlier service. <clears throat> there are two parts to the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is also called the Hebrew Bible because it was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek and translated to English from those two different languages. Another interesting thing about Hebrew is that ancient Hebrew, as in the Old Testament, does not contain vowels. It's only consonants. And so the reader needs to make a guess what vowels would go between the letters to form the words to convey the message that we're reading. Now, if we did that in English, took the vowels out of words, you would probably be able to figure out what those words were just by how they look and how they run together, the context of them. And that most of the time is how the Hebrew Bible works as well. But occasionally you will find where it could go one or two ways. And there's a footnote, and at the bottom it, say, it will say, this word might also be blank, so that you can understand that it's not 100% certain what that word is. Now, there are three parts to the Hebrew Bible. The first five books are the history of the creation of the Jewish people, God creating the world, God creating the, the chosen people, calling Abraham to leave his homeland to go to a new place, the, the, uh, the exodus of the Israelites who were living in captivity in Egypt, and then the establishment of these loosely confederated groups into one people and all the laws that were necessary for them to be able to live in community. Those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are all about the establishment of the Jewish people. It's called the Torah, which to Jews is a very important part of their heritage and their worship. Once you've got the history, once Israel was established, and things began to operate like they would, that's when we had prophets come on the scene. And the prophets would keep the kings honest, would keep the temple officials honest. Because one of the truths of the Bible that comes out is that all of us are sinful. We do things we should not do, and we do, there are other things we do not do that we should do. And so the prophets would hold the leaders accountable so that they acknowledged that God had chosen them and that they were a set-apart people who had to live in a different way 
than other peoples of that time. And there are three parts to the prophets. There are the former prophets, books like Judges and Joshua, Samuel and Kings. There are the greater prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then there are the minor prophets, Hosea, Amos, Micah, and people like that. But the prophets all did the same thing, and prophets were not popular because they would always be kind of a, a thumb in the side of a leader to hold them accountable, to question every decision they made, and we'll come back to that in a minute. And then the final part of the Old Testament is what's called the writings. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Chronicles, things like that that are often used in worship or used at home as a means of teaching children the faith. The writings are also parts that we're very familiar with. Then we move to the New Testament, originally written in Greek. The first four books are called Gospels. They're about the life of Jesus. The first three of those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are also called synoptic or similar Gospels because they look so similar. Whereas the Gospel of John is very different than the first three. Then, we come, then comes the Acts of the Apostles, which is about the establishment of the Christian church. And then a whole bunch of letters by Paul and, and others written to specific congregations to address particular problems. And then the last book of the New Testament is Revelation, which is apocalyptic. Let's all say that together. Apocalyptic. Having to do with the end of things. Whether that end is a particular time in history, or whether that end is the end or consummation of all time as we know it. It's probably the former, but Revelation is one of those books that nobody really completely understands, even after many, many centuries of studying it. So, that's the anatomy of the Bible in a nutshell. Let's look at our readings from this morning. The first one we have is from one of the major prophets, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is bought a house, bought a piece of land. And you might think, big deal. People buy land every day. But we need to put this story in context to be able to understand the significance of his buying land. And as it turns out, Jeremiah was a prophet during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, who was a Babylonian ruler. And the Babylonians had access and they had the technology to create weapons that the surrounding countries did not have yet. And so they were very powerful. They overwhelmed many different nations around them. And now they were trying to take over Israel and Judah. And the king of Israel would begin to make a deal with the Babylonians. You know, if, if we give you so much money, would you just kind of leave us alone? And the Babylonians said, sure, if you pay us money, we'll leave you alone. But the money amount increased and it increased and increased. And eventually they began to wonder, you know, how is this going to end? 
Well, Jeremiah heard about this, and he went to the king and said, King, you cannot make a deal with Nebuchadnezzar. You're making, you're making an arrangement with someone who is going to compromise our faith, who is, who is going to compromise the way we have been set apart as a chosen people of God. Don't be afraid, king. Don't worry about what might happen if you don't pay the Babylonian ruler. Don't worry about what might happen if the Babylonians, who are surrounding Jerusalem, right outside the walls, if they come in, it's going to be okay. God will not abandon us. And the king said, no, Jeremiah, I've got to look at the welfare of all of my people, not just my faith, not just the scripture. And so the king began to question Jeremiah's allegiance. Whose side are you on, Jeremiah? Some things don't change, do they? And he, but what Jeremiah does is with the Babylonians surrounding the city, ready to come in, about to lose all the land, Jeremiah buys a parcel of land as a way of saying, I know my scripture, and I know my God, and my God has chosen us. And even though the Babylonians may overwhelm us and put us away in exile, God will never abandon us, and God will never leave us. We will come through this. We will, and I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm buying a parcel of land with the Babylonians right outside the walls. That takes courage, but it's courage that comes from a familiarity with Scripture and of understanding what God is like by the stories that he had read his entire life. Scripture gave Jeremiah courage. Our second reading, and hopefully you read this as you were preparing for worship today, is from Luke. And after the sermon, the choir is going to sing an anthem that paraphrases this reading from Luke. But it's a story about, it's a parable. It's a story that Jesus told to make a point. And you did not take the story literally. You took sort of the, the meaning of the entire story, the kind of the punchline is what you would take with you. And it's the story of a rich man who had everything he could possibly want or need. And he had a servant by the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus really only got what the rich man threw down from his table or gave him out of his own wallet. One day, both the rich man and Lazarus die. Lazarus goes to be with Abraham. Think of it as going to heaven. And the rich man goes into Hades. Think of it as going to a dark, lonely, miserable place. And there, they can see each other. Lazarus can see the rich man. The rich man can see Lazarus. And so the rich man says, Lazarus, come down here. You're my servant. I'm hot. I'm thirsty. Bring me some water. 
And that's when Abraham intercedes and says, no, rich man, things are the way they are now for all eternity. During your lifetime, you had it pretty good. And you hardly even acknowledged Lazarus unless you wanted something or needed something. Well, things have been reversed. And now you're there and he's here. And this is a chasm you cannot cross. Well, the rich man thinks about it and then he says, look, Abraham, I've got five brothers. I would like for you to go and talk to them. And, and, and make them aware of how things have turned out so that they don't have to come to this place like I did. And this is where we get to Scripture. And Abraham says to the rich man, you already have the Scriptures and the prophets to convince you of how you are to live. The scripture says you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. That's already in scripture. Your brothers can read that. You could have read that rich man. And maybe you did, but you did not take it to heart. Nobody's going to go to your five brothers because they've got the scriptures just like you do. Scripture is provides all that we need to know in order to receive salvation it contains all that we need to know or have in order to understand who we are and what we are like and the truth about ourselves as sinners but also how god's love for us overcomes that sin and redeems that sin and sent jesus into the world to die on behalf of that sin it's in our bibles and that's why the scripture is so deeply important to every single one of us and why third graders i hope you will read this book and keep it and rely upon it not just today or tomorrow or this week but next year and then the years ahead because all that it reveals is about truth about who we are and who God is. Thanks be to God. Amen.